So let's welcome Brother Sam Wood, if you would, this morning back to our... Well, amen. I've been blessed this morning, haven't you? Amen. We've already been preached to, and uh, I've enjoyed this so much being here this weekend. This is, uh, for y'all who don't know me, as many faces here I've never seen before, and that's a wonderful thing, amen, that so many people are joining, getting part of, becoming part of this fellowship, and uh, it's exciting. But I was so happy to hear Brother Chris sing and lead that song, and uh, it's one of my favorites, and I just love that in charity. What a beautiful song that was. I don't think I've heard that, and that was just uh, come to the table. That's where we're at, amen, and uh, thank God for that. I'd be remiss if I didn't say thank you to the church here that supports us monthly. In case you don't know that, we are missionaries uh, of this church, so everything we do in helping families all across the United States, other countries, all the premarital training we do, all the counseling we do, everything we do, you're part of that. And uh, we certainly want to ask you to continue to pray for us as we continue to do that. But I would be, again, remiss if I didn't say thank you, church. And so we are so very grateful. I know Debbie feels the same, for sure. And uh, and we love you. uh, This is part of our heart is still here in this church. We love this church so much. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. And verses 6 and 7, if you would turn there, and I would ask if you're able physically to stand, to stand in honor of the Word of God as I share the Word of God with you uh, here this morning. It's in Scripture that we get the true story of the world. Genesis chapter 3, and just two verses here, verse 6 and verse 7. And when when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked and sewed fig leaves leaves together and made themselves aprons. We have been celebrating marriage this weekend, family this weekend, so I'm going to ask you as we pray, if you're sitting or standing next to your husband or wife or children or family, just hold hands with each other. Would you do that? Father, we humbly come before you in Jesus' name, the name above all names. Father, we thank you for the Spirit of God that is here in this place. God, that we can sing songs of praise to you. We are so thankful for our salvation. Help us, I pray, God, to never, ever get over our salvation, what you have done for us on the cross at Calvary. Father, I pray and give this time to you and pray, God, that I would say the words that would only be pleasing to you. And, Father, I pray the Holy Spirit would go throughout this place this morning. I pray you would take your holy finger and touch every heart here today, break every heart afresh in their relationship with you. Break every heart afresh, I pray, God, in their relationship with each other. I pray that sin would be confessed and repented of, and I pray, God, that those who may have walked in this building that do not know Jesus Christ would accept that invitation that was given in the song to come to the table. And Father, I pray that you would grant them the gift of faith to believe today in Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior, and today they would become a new creation in Christ. We thank you in advance for all you're going to do. For we pray, we ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, 
Amen. You can be seated. Well, this weekend has been a wonderful weekend. It's been a different theme. It's really the first time we've ever uh, done this conference. We've done this conference called Partners in Paradise before, but we kind of totally revamped it into something somewhat brand new. And we call it Partners in Paradise because the Garden of Eden, the word Eden means an enclosed place of pleasure, and God put man in an enclosed place of pleasure even as we said this weekend, to find perpetual rest, to find his identity in God and God alone, and to image or mirror the image of God through pouring out selfless love to another image bearer that God would provide for him, that is, woman, and that all of us with each other could pour out and mirror God's image by pouring out that same selfless love, certainly to one another, certainly As we look back to paradise, we look back to Genesis chapter 2, we look at the original original paradise that God put man and woman in. It's uh, almost too amazing and wonderful to even describe with words. But unfortunately, something happened in that paradise. In this beautiful place that God put man and woman, only one thing could mess it up, and that one thing did happen, that one thing was sin. And unfortunately for all humanity, Eve yielded to the temptation of Satan to disobey God's one and only prohibition to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam, with his wife, the Bible says, ate of the fruit and disobeyed God. Ken Hughes says, in an instant, the original couple passed from life to death, from sinlessness to sin, from harmony to alienation from trust to distrust, from ease to disease. It didn't take a day. It happened in a millisecond. There were no longer partners in paradise, but partners, we might say, in perversion. Paradise was lost. So we might ask exactly how was their relationship broken? How was their relationship corrupted? How was their relationship perverted by sin? And I want to share several ways that it was here this morning with you. First, I think as we look at Scripture, we see that sin caused man to be cut off from man. We could call this social alienation. Look at verse 7. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Before sin, they were naked, as in not ashamed, as it describes, or gives a summary verse in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25. And I shared this weekend that that means they were known and yet still loved and accepted. They had complete transparency in their relationship. There was no shame. There was no guilt. There was no fear. There was no pride there. They were fully known and yet still loved and accepted. The minute they sinned, what did they do? They immediately did what church? They covered themselves up. They tried to take fig leaves to cover up their sins. I can't let you know who I am because if you know who I am, you probably won't like who I am. You won't love me the way you did love me or you won't love me the way I want you to love me. I got to take control over what you know about me. That's us today. Every one of us here today, if we would be honest with ourselves, 
would say, I'm in that position right now. I am continually trying to cover myself with fig leaves to cover myself up to make sure nobody knows who I really am because if they really knew who I was, they probably wouldn't like me very much. And we call this social alienation. But not only that, sin calls man to be cut off from God. The most devastating thing is Man was cut off from God. We, we could call this spiritual alienation. We look at verse 9 and 10, and it says, And Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Adam and Eve were communing with God in the garden, enjoying his presence, abiding in his light. But now we see in verse 10, they're afraid of God, and they're hiding from him. Why? Because God said in Genesis 2, 17, if you eat of the tree that I commanded you not to eat of, you shall surely, what church? You shall surely die. Adam's reverential fear of God, that is having an awe of God, that is standing and revering who God is, turned into a slavish fear, that is the fear of a slave to a taskmaster, feeling like now that God would whip him like a taskmaster would whip a slave because he had sinned against God. He is now alienated from God. He's spiritually alienated because God is holy and God is without sin and he cannot be in the presence of sin. He is a holy God. And because God is holy and just, he now will have to judge man because of his sin. And of course, this judgment is physical death But even worse than physical death is spiritual death or eternal separation from God because of man's sin. But not only did sin cause social alienation and spiritual alienation, but thirdly, sin caused man to be cut off from himself. Look at verse 11. And he said, who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereby I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. When God asked Adam why, he's now embarrassed about being naked. I mean, he's walked with God naked for who knows how long. Now, all of a sudden, it's changed. He doesn't answer because, God, I disobeyed you. Forgive me. He doesn't repent before a holy God. He rather blames someone. He blames woman. Amen? The woman made me do it. When God says to Eve, what about you? Eve says, the serpent made me do it. They're both in denial because they're filled with fear and shame. We might call this psychological alienation They're cut off, listen, folks, they're cut off from themselves because they're cut off from God. They've lost their identity. Before sin, their identity, represented by the tree of life, as we talked about this weekend, was in God and God alone, but now they don't know who they are. They've lost the main purpose that God has created them for, to worship God and to worship God alone. 
A.W. Tozer says, what was the real tragedy of that dreadful cosmic rupture forever affecting mankind? The real tragedy in the Garden of Eden was that Adam and Eve lost their purpose. They forgot who they were. They did not know who they were. They did not understand where they came from or what they were here for. They forgot the purpose of their existence, trying their best to shake off this moral fog. They could not, for no matter what they did, it would not shake away. Therefore, hand in hand, they made their way out into the world, not knowing where they were going. Humanity still wanders in this moral and spiritual wilderness. They suffered from what I will refer to as spiritual amnesia. As A.W. Tozer stated, because of sin, all humanity has spiritual amnesia, wandering in a spiritual wilderness, trying to rediscover, listen, folks, trying to rediscover who they are and why they're here. That's the state of mankind today. We've never lived in more confused society than we live in America today of trying to discover who you are, what I am, and we're living in this time even from rooted in the sin of man called psychological alienation. If you don't know the true God, listen, folks, and who he is, you won't know the true self for who he is. It's only when we know the true God. But also notice in verse 16 that sin caused gender roles to be cursed. We might call this familial alienation. Look at verse 16. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now, folks, we live in a day and culture where everyone is talking about gender and are confused about gender, even to the point they don't know who they are. I never could have imagined, as most of you could not imagine, that we would ever live in this day. I could imagine that 10 years ago, hardly. You say, preacher, where did all this come from? Folks, it simply came from sin, the sin of man. But we do see two important things in this passage I just want to mention briefly here this morning. One is there are gender differences, amen? The Bible clearly says that. And number two, sin has distorted gender differences and gender roles. I could spend a lot of time here. In fact, I've done a conference on this. It's on YouTube on gender ideology, but I just mentioned it briefly. Look at verse 16 again. It says, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Notice the word desire. It means to take control of. Because of sin, woman will have a proclivity to compete with her husband instead of completing him. She will now compete with him. She will seek to take control of the relationship and make an idol out of the relationship. And anytime she feels she's not in control of the relationship, she becomes fearful of losing the relationship and tries harder to control the relationship. What about man? Notice the little word rule in verse 16. Sin will cause man to make an idol out of power. The word rule means to lord it over. This is part of the curse. The Bible is teaching because of sin, men will try to fill their emptiness by dominating women, by being a tyrant over them. Because of sin, men will have a proclivity to abuse women, both emotionally and physically. Certainly statistics bear this out. We look at statistics, one in three women have at some time in their life been either 
physically or sexually abused by a boyfriend or by a husband. So the positive complementarianism of maleness and femaleness under sin becomes distorted and very negative. Not only are gender roles cursed by sin, but also sin calls the ground to be cursed. Say, preacher, what do you mean? I call this vocational alienation. In verse 17, it says, And to Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. Wow. Von Rad, who is a commentator, says, Here we must observe that in the same way that the woman's punishment struck at the deepest root of her being as wife and mother, the man strike at the innermost nerve of his life, his work, his activity, and provision, and sustenance. Note that work itself is not cursed. Work was given to Adam from God. God curses, listen, his curse was upon the ground. Man worked in the Garden of Eden, and it was a sweet toil to man. But now his work will be painful. There will be thorns and thistles that he has to deal with. There will be futility in his work. And that's the big word here to understand no matter how many weeds we pull, they continually come back. Listen, you can, t- you can toil and labor, go to a job 40 hours a week, pay all your bills at the end of the month, but you start all over the next month. And sometimes it can seem to be very futile in our life. Amen. Why am I doing this? I just continually am doing this over and over and over again. Futility. Vocational alienation. And there's nothing, folks, there's nothing we can do to remove this curse from the ground except to die. Sixthly, sin caused man to be cut off from nature. We could call this creational alienation. In verse 19, it says, In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it was thou taken, for dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. Originally, man was made to take care of nature, to have dominion over nature, to cultivate it. But because of sin, nature is now in charge of us. That's what it's saying. It says, in the end, you'll toil in the dust, you'll fight with the dust, and you'll end up as dust. That's exciting, amen? Irma Bombeck was a great humorist, and years ago she said that the main enemy of her life was dirt. She said, dirt in the diaper, dirt on the plate, dirt in the rug, dirt on the sheets. All your life, you start at one end of the house, and you work on the dirt, and by the time you get to the other end of the house, the first end is dirty again. Then finally, she says, what do you do at the end of your life for all your troubles? You get six feet of dirt. That's exactly what Genesis 3.19 is saying. You spend all your life fighting the dirt, and then at the end, the dirt wins. You know what this means? It means all death, listen, folks, all disease, all natural disasters, and the fact that you've got to have air conditioning in certain parts of the world to survive, and in parts of the world you've got to have heat to survive in the world, or we'll die is because nature is the Lord's servant, and we've rebelled against God. The reason all these things are breaking down is simply because 
we have taken ourselves. Man has taken himself out of the proper place in the universe where God put him. I like to illustrate it this way. Imagine a clock. I love clocks. I used to, as a boy, I would take them apart, try to put them back together. Many times I didn't put them back together, but I'd love to do that. So here's a clock. You open up the clock, and as you see on the screen behind me, you see all the gears, you see all the pulleys inside of a clock. Everything is in its place. It's running fine. The gears are all meshing. The big gears are meshing with the little gears, and every gear is where it's supposed to be. But imagine one central key gear says, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't like this axle that I'm on. I want to come up here where you are. Here's what the Bible says. Essentially, what happened was we were that key gear that decided to pop off its axle and try to get higher up. Instead, we fell lower down. Can you imagine a gear falls off and it falls lower down? All of a sudden, you hear all the grinding, you hear all the grating, you hear all the splintering, you, you smell the wood and you smell the metal is grinding and it's burning. What's going on? The clock is going crazy just because one gear popped off its axle. And folks, we're that gear. Elizabeth Elliot says, if you see a clam, if you see a frog... If you see a pigeon on the way home, look at that pigeon. That pigeon is glorifying God better than you are because that pigeon is being exactly what God meant it to be. It's being a pigeon. George Whitfield, the great evangelist, years ago in a sermon asked this question. Do you ever notice when you get near the minions of nature, why do the birds screech at you? Why do the dogs bark at you? Why do the reptiles hiss at you? Because they know, he said, that you have a quarrel with their master. You see, that's the reason we die. That's the reason we have diseases. That's the reason we have famines. That's the reason we have earthquakes and all kinds of other natural disasters. Because nature, which should be our friend, is now our enemy because we are the enemy of its Lord. When God says, curse it, curse it, God is not saying, well, what can I do to make their lives miserable now that they've done this, they've sinned against me? No, what he's saying, this is simply what happens when you go against the grain and fabric of the universe that I have created to work in a way that's very, very beautiful. I built you to be my servants. And I want to be your master. But if you don't want me to be your master, and you don't want to be my servant, so be it. This is what's going to happen. You're going to break down just like the clock. You're going to disintegrate, and nothing is going to work right. The whole universe, folks, has fallen to some degree because of us. Romans 8, and 23 says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. Just imagine if one gear falls off in this illustration and falls down to the box and all the other gears are hurt, but one gear that fell off is the one that's really, really crushed. And folks, we are the really, really fallen ones. And we are the ones who are crushed deeply by sin. And nothing is quite working right. And nothing 
will work right until God puts it straight again on the last day. Until then, we experience disintegration. Why? Because we want to be our own masters. What does all this mean? You say, preacher, it sounds pretty dark. This is telling us that absolutely everything that's wrong with this world is because of sin. Sin has tainted gender roles. It's tainted social relationships. It's tainted singleness. It's tainted marriage. It's tainted our work. Everything spiritual, psychological, social, physical, all breakdowns are because of sin. But it also means this. Now listen, if you're a Christian... The minute you come back under the lordship of Jesus Christ, you begin to heal. Hallelujah. The reason you're breaking down is because you're out from under his lordship, because you're being your own master. When we decided to take control of the universe, to take control of our lives, everything began to fall apart. But when we get back under the lordship of Jesus Christ, when by the Holy Spirit and the word of God, you begin to say, I want you to be my master again. I want you to be my Lord again. I'm going to declare today dependence day. I am dependent upon you, God. I give myself to you. And when you do that, you begin, you begin to heal. Spiritually, your alienation for God begins to heal. Psychologically, your alienation from yourself begins to heal. Socially, your alienation from other people begins to heal. Fact is, even physically, to some degree, you'll begin to heal. As Christians, this is what we should know and what we should be showing. Listen, folks, the broken world around us, that people who cannot get along without the gospel can get along in the gospel. And this is what we do in counseling. We help people see that they need to get back under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what we talked about in Sunday school. Until that day, Paul says in Romans 8, everything is groaning and travailing until finally on the last day, God will come down and a new heaven and a new earth will come. We actually sing about that in Isaac Watts' song, Joy to the World. Remember the lines in that song? No more... Let sins and sorrows grow. No thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Give yourself to him. Make him your king. And that kingdom power comes back in and begins to heal you spiritually, heal you, listen, psychologically, heal you socially, and to some degree even possibly physically. As Christians, we're to take the power of the Holy Spirit and the lordship of Jesus Christ and apply it to every realm of our life because sin has, has affected every realm of our life. And folks, I want to close by saying, thankfully, God, even in this chapter, gives us a remedy for sin. Look at verse 15. And I'll put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. In the midst of God's judgment on the serpent and on Satan and on anyone who follows Satan comes what's called the proto-gospel. This is the first preaching of the gospel in the word of God. And here's what God says. He says, this is what I'm going to do to remedy your sin. First, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring 
and you. And this is not saying, listen, this is not saying that from now on, snakes and people will hate each other. Although that is the case very often, amen? My wife can't stand snakes, I know that. What it's talking about is humanity will only have two kinds of people in it now. There are people who follow Satan's advice in the garden, and there'll be people who follow and obey the Lord. What it's saying is prophetically, it's saying that Satan will be defeated by the Lamb of God. It's saying what it says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It pictures the abundant life and victory that we can have in life in Christ. This weekend, I read about the spiritual restoration of Israel in Isaiah 51.3 in our conference. And that verse in Isaiah 51.3 went like this. For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places, and he will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. God says, one day the spiritual restoration of Israel will be like the original Garden of Eden, and all these characteristics will be found in it. As I close today, I'd like to just take a second and paraphrase and apply that as I did many years ago to myself and to us. In that verse for the Lord, if you're here today, will comfort your life and marriage. He will comfort all the waste places, the hurts, all your worries and anxieties. He'll make the wilderness, the barren places in your life and marriage like Eden, an enclosed place of pleasure. And the desert, the dried up places in your life and marriage, like the original paradise garden of the Lord, joy and gladness shall be found in your life and marriage, thanksgiving, and the voice of melody will be communicated in your life and your marriage relationships. What a wonderful thought. And if you're a child of God and you're born of God, folks, your sins are forgiven. Amen. You have new life in Jesus Christ. You have a new heaven and a new earth to look forward to. Even as we heard this morning singing. But if you're here today and you're not a child of God, then the Bible says you're a child of the serpent. You're a child of the devil. And God's judgment will come upon you unless you confess that you are a sinner. Repent of your sins, turn away from your sins, and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who came to die for your sin. Some of you may have walked in that back door this morning, and that's where you're at. The greatest need in your life this morning, and God brought you into this building this morning, not by accident, but by a divine appointment to speak to your heart. And he's given you an invitation this morning to come to Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. It doesn't matter what sin you have. You can come to Jesus. You can lay it at the foot of the cross. And you can say, Jesus, will you forgive me for my sins? I want to turn my, away from my sins, and I want to turn to you. I want you to be the Lord, the master of my life. And if you're here today, before we close out this service today, there's going to be an invitation in a moment. I hope you would 
come and let somebody talk to you about that. We would be happy to have a conversation. There's preachers, pastors here, be happy to have a conversation with you about that today. We wouldn't want you to leave this building without knowing Jesus Christ. Sin has, as I've tried to picture this morning, this isn't a real complicated message. It doesn't need to be. Sin has messed everything up. But through Jesus Christ, we begin to heal. And we have salvation. You may be here as a Christian and you're wallowing in hurt and anxiety and brokenness. And even as I said in Sunday school and talked about Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus gives the invitation to come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Some of you are carrying that yoke. Jesus says in that same text, he invites you to take on his yoke. And you need to come and submit to the yoke of Christ and bring your burdens and cares to the altar of God. Bow your heads this morning. Heads about, eyes are closed. I don't know how God wants you to respond this morning, but I do know this. God does want you to respond. Anytime we hear the word of God, God wants us to respond to the word of God. And I don't know what your response needs to be. It could be for salvation to come and Allow somebody to have, you a com- have a conversation with you about how you can know that you're a child of God, how you can know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You may need to come and just bow and you want to pray and just give your life afresh to God or lay your burdens and your worries and anxieties before God. And if that's you this morning, you want somebody to pray with you, you can come and kneel at this altar, raise your hand, and somebody, a brother or sister, will come and gather around and pray for you and pray with you. But whatever your need is this morning, I want everyone to stand, if you would, hands about, eyes are closed, we're going to have a stanza of invitation. If God is speaking to you today, you step out and come. You step out and come. Hands about, eyes are closed. Brother Brian's going to sing a stanza of invitation. And God is speaking to your heart. Don't delay. You come.